Tamina Watson. Wow, what a pleasure talking to Tamina. Uh, she's an immigration lawyer. She's much more than that, but her her main focus, her, her authorship, she's written books, three books, podcasts on immigration, and it's such a hot-button topic in, in the United States. Uh, it's political. Uh, there's so much misconception. There's so much false information that's happening. She does a real good job of breaking it down into three major categories, family, business, and then what she calls humanitarian, humanitarianism, humanitarianism. And um, really great conversation. She's also a uh, bird watcher. She's a blogger. She's a mother of two. She met her husband on a blind date. She's from the UK. She came over. Uh, she had to take the bar in New York. She's in Washington State. It's just really, really great talking to someone who exemplifies discipline, by the way, and her her connection to it is intention, which is a really interesting uh, kind of angle on, on discipline. But really love the discussion about immigration. I got a lot of things, misconceptions that I had cleared up. My parents are not from the United States. We are a country of immigrants, uh, and it was a great perspective. Tamina Watson, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Now, Tamina Watson, thank you so much for your time today. Why is immigration such a hot topic, political topic? We are a country of immigrants. My parents are not from this country. Why is it so, such a big issue? Well, Joey, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I did read your bio, and I'm so glad that I read that your parents are, are immigrants, so you know why this is important. This nation was built by immigrants. If you think about, you know, how these, this country began and how uh, everything in this country had really sort of grown and beca become this developed nation, mm. it all happened because immig of immigrants. And what happens in this modern day is that people forget history. People become selfish. 
And that's all, you know, results in devices. That's really unfortunate because, I mean, there's no true kind of American last names. It's all European. It's all African. It's all South American. It's all Asian. It's just a true melting pot. And, um, and people really, really politicize it now. So you're in the, you're in the Northwest, you're in Seattle, you are an immigration lawyer and, um, Oh my, by the way, that's just top of the scale, bird watcher, podcaster, author, mother of two girls. I mean, the list goes on and on. Very impressive woman. But let's talk about immigration a little bit more in that uh, there's like three types of immigration. I never really talked to my parents about what it was like. They didn't come through Ellis Island. They met in New York City, but they didn't go through Ellis Island. They had relatives here previously. But let's just talk about the process of immigration. There's so many there's so many misconceptions. So true. And I'm so glad that you mentioned three types. It, there are many types, but what I, what I try to describe to people just so that this complex system could be simplified to some extent, I say to people, there are three big buckets. There is the family-based um, bucket, there is the employment-based bucket, hmm. and then there is the humanitarian bucket. And within these buckets, there are many different types. But if people could keep these three headings in their minds, whatever they hear about on television or in the news will fall into one of these. So what are they? So the family-based immigration is when, um, you just mentioned your parents, you know, it's when family members are sponsoring each other and that's parents, children, siblings. Uh, and one of the misconceptions on, on this issue, particularly in the last you know, several years, was that you can sponsor your aunt and your grandfather and your grandmother and all these other people, you know, everybody mm. in your family. That is not true. You can only sponsor immediate family members. And so that is parents, siblings, children. Um, but what happens in that, though, is that they become different categories and how long you wait will depend oh. on where that relationship is. Um, and I'll come and describe something else to that, but it's relevant in the employment-based situation as well. So the employment-based immigration uh, category is when an employer is sponsoring somebody for a job. And it could be a scientist, it could be a you mm. know uh, an Emmy award winning actor. It could be somebody who is um, you know uh, it could be anything architect, doctor, lawyer, you name it. Um, you, whatever the profession, nursing home, you, they can sponsor people for green cards. but there is a very uh, complicated, tedious, expensive, frustrating system that is behind that. But in this bucket, there are different categories and how you apply will depend on the category. And this is where I want to ask your listeners to envision a dartboard. The dartboard is uh, a symbol of how hmm. many visas are given out each year. So there is a number that is associated with it and it is written in the law. For family-based, it's 226,000 visas or green cards. Visas and green cards are sort of used synonymously, if you like. So you will hear visas for temporary um, you know, permission to come here or permanent uh, permission to come here. And the, in this context, visa means green card. So 226,000 at a minimum. And then for employment-based, it's 140,000 
uh, a year that's given out. And they all start in October, October 1st, when the fiscal year begins. But this dartboard is important for people to envision because at the center where the bullseye is, Uh that's where people are not waiting very much. So in the family based, it's when the, it's an you know immediate relative, meaning that it's a spouse or a parent or a minor child. They're in the bullseye. It's you're not waiting wow. longer than it takes for the process to finish, meaning that somebody is going to get to your file. Um, in the employment based situation, the bullseye is people who are in the what's called EB uh, employment based first preference, meaning that they are um, Nobel Prize winners, they are outstanding researchers, and and it could be anybody who has reached the top of their profession. They're in the center, they're not waiting that long, other than how long it takes for the file to reach from, you know, step one to step 10. But these outer skirts of the dartboard is how those relationships are getting further Hmm. and further. And that's how long people have to wait. It's not just about somebody pushing the file anymore. It's that when can that file be pushed? And all of these uh, outer circles of the dartboard signify where you are in this preference categories. But that dartboard is also important to describe which country are you from, which which category are you in. So if you think about just the pie chart of of a die of the dartboard, there are like little segments. You know, those segments will will define which country you're from and which category you're from. If you're from India, you're going to be waiting a long what? time, meaning decades. If you're from England you may not be waiting that much time. And so it's these little pie charts and the little segments. Each country in the world is given 7% um, of, of, of these 140 or 226. And so that number gets, um, you know, the, the supply is mm. much smaller than the, the demand. And so that waiting time, so that's as simple as I can make it. It's very, very complicated. But where you are in that dartboard or that pie chart will define. Now, why define is India a lot more waiting. time than England? Population. Because the country is much larger. So the population that is waiting to come in, uh, it's they still have uh. 7%, just like England has 7%. Norway has 7%. Timbuktu, if we were making up countries at this point, everybody has 7%. But how many people are trying to come here will define how long that line is. So if you hear the word line, it's really that, you know, how many people are in that pie chart in that little segment so the largest population countries, India, China, Mexico, uh, so these countries still only are given 7%. Very interesting. I remember you talking about that. That's correct. Sorry. And these laws, yeah, and the law the law was set in, you know, with the, the laws are from 1990. You know, and think about how globalization and technology has made the world mm. change many, many fold over. But the law hasn't changed. And so when you hear about immigration reform on television or the news or podcasts, it's really important to understand that the law that we are dealing with is so archaic and so old that it doesn't meet the needs of the modern day world that we live in. And it's not just about America. 
America is part of a global community. And people, we are relying on immigrants. Your first question was so important. Why are immigrants important? If you think about just the pandemic, who kept everything going? If you go to the grocery store, the apples on Mm. the, the shiny apples that still were shiny were in the grocery store because some immigrant was picking it. If you think about the phone that you were using, the hardware, the software, the network, majority of that is being manned by um, people who are immigrants, you know. And so COVID-19 is a great Mm. example for showing what the healthcare industry does. They rely on immigrant doctors, nurses, every, you know, para, you know, medical professionals, you name it. We need immigrants in every industry. And the immigration system hasn't changed to meet our so economic if, needs. So if I were to give you, you know, complete control, and I do have this power, by the way, but no, I'm kidding. If I gave you complete control, what? <laughs> what how would you okay. change the law? What would you do with the law? <laughs> what would you do to improve it? You know, I think about this often, so I'm so yes. glad you're giving this, you know, fictitious <laughs> power to me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I would really rejig things. And yes, this is a very mm. complicated um, system. So one person would not necessarily be able to change it and meet so many needs. But what I would want people to know is if we can make the economy mm. our guiding star, I think that could result in these changes meeting the needs that we have. If we can keep, when when in 1990 and 1950s and 60s, when these laws were changed, they were done primarily with family unity in mind. And families are very important. There's no question. We need to not necessarily make too many changes in the categories we have. But the systemic change that we need really needs to have an eye on the economy. If we think about today, I mean, I don't, you know, Joey, I was listening to you speaking to this business expert earlier. You know, right. most businesses don't have labor. You don't, you know, whichever whichever industry you're looking at, if it's a fast food chain, if it's a hospital, even law firms, staffing mm. is a big issue. Where, where are we going to get these people? Yet we, without having staff running these businesses, we're not necessarily having the economy revived. We're going into a recession. I mean, some people mm. are like on the fence. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? We're clearly in a recession. Or if we're not, we're just we're very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I had to pick three things, because, you know, I have noticed often that you don't get everything you want. And when you're compromising in very difficult situations, you've got to have your top list. My top list would include, um, and of course, I could probably go on, but I'm, you know, I'm going to try to stop at five, maybe. One is, you know, you hear about people who are undocumented. There are 11 million of them. That becomes a, one of the biggest, the critical conversation that people have, and it's the most divisive issue. We don't want to give amnesty. The reason these people are here is because in 1996, a new law was created saying if you come into the U.S. without status or you remain without status for six months or more, you if you leave the country, you cannot come back for three wow. years. And if you're here for 12 months or more without status, you cannot come back for 10 years. What this did 
And every law, you know, maybe at the time it made sense, it had, you know, unintended consequences. These people suddenly became trapped. You know, if they leave the country, they have families, they have other commitments, many things, primarily mixed status families, they cannot come back. So when you hear, you know, lots of news stories and politicians to get back in the line and come back legally, there is no line, quote unquote line, but there is no mechanism for them to come back. A person cannot be outside the country for 10 plus years when they have little children and family members and spouses and what have you. So my first thing would be to remove the three and 10 year bar. Because that will, if I were given just a handful of choices, that would actually impact a, a very large uh, portion of the people affected that need assistance. Um, and that could solve the economy too. Once you have them, you know, people who are legally here with green cards and they can work in any industry. It, it, so economy is the lens here again. Um, we need a low skilled visa category. We do not have one. The number of times that I speak with people on a weekly basis from fast food restaurants, just general restaurants, construction companies, um, nursing homes, you know, and nursing homes play a huge part in our medical uh, ecosystem. These are people who are in hospice but often they or they can't they don't have or the Medicaid or what have you. They, they have to find a way to get the assistance. These homes are often operated by Americans, but often by immigrants, too. But the work that needs to happen even pre-pandemic was difficult and you couldn't find hmm. people. So a low-skilled visa category that basically says your, your expertise in X or you can provide, you know, hard labor, we will take hmm. you. We don't have that. What we have is seasonal visas and agricultural visas. Uh. And even though they're quote-unquote low-skilled, there's nothing low-skilled about it, those don't fit the person who's trying to fill a waitress or a, you know, a nursing home position, you know, this happens often. Uh, you know, I think I've given the best examples, but it happens in every mm. industry. You know, and this is a time in our country, but also globally, where people are facing staff shortages. And, you know, sometimes I think, where are the people, you know, but wherever they are, they're not doing the work. And again, economy as the lens, if we could fix that, we would actually be able to revitalize the economy as we head into a recession. Hmm. Um, there are many other things that I would put on my list. But if I had to put a third one, that would be the startup visa, a visa for founders who are creating solutions to chronic problems. And this is the moment where I can have, yes. you know, show you yes. my you know, I have spent so much time, you know, working with people advocating for a visa for founders who can't stay in this country because a modern the modern day business formation doesn't fit the 1990s laws that we have. You know, in 1990 and beyond, oh, before, it wasn't contemplated that, you know, venture capital funding or angel funding or people would use funding from research and awards to create a company. In those days, you know, the very traditional way was you put money in a company and that's your company. But the modern day system is not taken into account. Now, we had our first bill in Congress in 2009. And since then, we've had many, many different bills, but it has not become hmm. law. Whereas Canada took our startup visa bill 
from 2009, uh, 10, and they made it their own. And they are an attractive place for entrepreneurs to go and start their companies and create jobs. Canada is a great example to show as uh, what they think of immigration. Immigration to them is truly an economic Hmm. tool. They're welcoming in humanitarian situations, but every humanitarian, you know, situation that results in more immigrants, it's also helping the economy. Now, we didn't talk about the third bucket. The third bucket is humanitarian visas. That is refugees, asylum, um, you know, U visas, people who are victims of a crime, people who are, um, there is the S visa, often colloquially sort of called snitch visa, if you are, you know, helping police uh. and the authorities finding somebody, you can get an S visa, there is a T visa, trafficking visa, if you've been trafficked for whatever reason, those are in that bucket. Um, But when, and it's a very complicated bucket, because each of these different visas have different issues and requirements and problems that need to be solved. Um, Asylum, you know, I haven't talked about removal as as a subject matter, deportation, you know, that goes into court, all of these three buckets, these people can end up hmm. in court. So that's a systemic issue that needs um, reform in and of itself. But where people get hung up on is board, the border, you know, and the border, it needs a reform, of course, but it needs to have sensible modern day solutions. A wall is not going to be the hmm. solution. A wall is a great way to... Uh, appropriate funds and, you know, have the visibility of doing something, but it doesn't accomplish the result. And what the answer is, I don't have a good one for you necessarily, but it does involve technology um, and other ways of improving the system as a whole. Um, but that's that's where we land on why we need immigration reform. The other thing I will mention I, before I just stop talking about immigration reform is that often you know, the rhetoric becomes, do we do a comprehensive Mm. immigration reform or piecemeal? Do we fix this asylum? Do we fix this um, U visa? Do we fix border? Do we fix one or the other? You know, shall we fix one thing? The trouble is everything is connected. Mm. Think about the dartboard, how everything is connected. If you do not, the ankle bow is connected to the (laughs) knee bone that's connected to the hip bone. If you fix just one thing, you're going to make everything lopsided right. in a different way. And so that's why comprehensive immigration reform is so essential. Yeah, I think a great example of that is that we saw in, in the healthcare. I mean, we, we've it, need, it needed big reform. We did a lot of things. We got some pieces together, and now some, you know, some parts are doing well and some parts are not. One thing that I heard you talk about and we need to talk about, of course, is the whole they're taking our jobs and how that's a myth. Absolutely. And it was never more true or visible as it has been now. You know, I think before COVID, you know, there was maybe doubt, you know, it's one person's, you know, voice against the other or one party's voice against the other. But COVID has exposed Mm. the myth. And so it is definitely not, it never was true, but it is exposed as a myth now. Now, when someone comes to your law firm, you're a lawyer. You're... When I first heard you speak, I, I could have sworn you're from New Jersey, and I was shocked to learn London. But uh, that's just a joke, Tamina. But, um, but 
I was like, oh my gosh, my friends are so right that I sound like an American now. <laughs> so you came to the country, you, you, you were on a blind date, you met your husband, it's a very, very amusing story, and you got your, you did the bar in New York and, and in Washington State. So now you've got this great law firm, you're, you're on many different medias, you're, you're an advocate, obviously, for immigration. When somebody comes to you uh, in, your, in the law firm, are they seeking asylum? Do they want their families to come across? Are they, like, what, is a, what is a common case that people come to you with? Yes, and such a great question. For first of all, thank you so much for sharing the sleepless in Seattle story yes. a little bit. It's one of my favorites. I feel so grateful that life has unfolded in the way it has. Um, I'm a business immigration attorney. That means that second bucket we talked about, that's what I primarily do. Um, I also help people with the first bucket of the family-based issues. What I don't do is most of the, the things in the third mm. bucket of humanitarian at my law firm directly. However, that third bucket is what my passion hmm. is in the sense that I want to help people. people. People are everything in this world. You know, we are all connected. How do we make things better for them? So I put, put in a lot of pro bono time in making sure that, you know, people with humanitarian needs are getting their needs met. And so at my law firm, it's business immigration, the employer, employee, founders, investors, um, how do they come and start their companies here, and, and family members that I mentioned as well. But the humanitarian stuff, it's, it's constantly at the back of my mind. I do a lot of community work in bar associations and different nonprofits. Uh, and, and that really goes towards the third bucket. Yeah, very good. By the way, I don't know if any of the younger listeners, Sleepless in Seattle was a great movie uh, that was romantic. It was a kind of rom-com where two people met and uh, it's a very amusing story. And we'll eventually we'll get to your bird watching as well. You know, and Seattle is such a, a hotbed. I've got a lot of friends there. Of course, Amazon, a lot of tech, a lot of great startup there. So you have companies you have people that are companies coming to you and asking for help to get employees in. That's why you wrote the book, the startup visa. Uh, and it's just, uh, you just saw a great need for it and, and, and there's lots of room to help them. That's correct. And I, you know, as I, in the last 10, 15 minutes, believe it or not, I was thinking to myself, you have to be close to a problem to be able mm. to see the solution. You know, and I was just on a call earlier where I was talking about the third bucket and I was thinking to myself, why does this matter to me so much? And it's because I'm seeing those people with the problems day in, day out. And I know what the solution can be. But those people who are in the problem, A, don't appreciate how that solution could either help them or they know, but they don't know how mm. to advocate. And when I became a lawyer, I just wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know lawyers could be so much more. But what really happened is I kept seeing these problems over and over again. And I realized that I have to be the voice for my client. And that's how all of this advocacy sort of snowballed into writing so frequently and writing a book. And, you know, nobody tells you how right. to write a book. You know, you just like suddenly feel like I've got to write a book. How do I do this? And you figure it out. And that's where discipline yes. comes in, Joey. That's why I think I'm so drawn to everything that you've been doing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that shortly. And not only writing a book, but two podcasts, a lot of blogs. Uh, you know, I, I got a chance to listen to, to some of your podcasts as well. I mean, what what makes you do all that? I mean, you, you've got a law firm, you've got a husband, you've got two 
girls, daughters, you've got, you know, why, why do all this extracurricular? Is it, is it passion? Is it love? Is it disciplined? You know, that's a really good question. Sometimes I wonder what's wrong with me, <laughs> but, um, but I think what it is, is I feel so compelled to educate, inform and mm. change. And what I will say at the outset, so your listeners don't think that I don't sleep. I good. do sleep and I do everything, you know, in, 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 I create buckets for myself. You know, I don't do everything at once because at any given time, there's just so much going on. What is the most important thing in that moment? And so for my podcast, I now, I used to do a live radio show that was once a week, uh, Tuesdays at 10 o'clock and I would show up at a radio station and everybody took care of everything. And I just, wow, I love doing this. This is so great. I didn't realize how spoiled mm. I was that somebody just took care of all of that. I just showed up. But podcasting, as you know, Joey, is a is a is a labor of love. You know, you really do it because you feel so compelled about a particular subject, and 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 I think that's why I think your your podcast is so important because people don't appreciate discipline is one of the number one things that you need to have in your life if you want to see things change, move, have accomplishments. So why do I do it? Is because something within me says I must and I just follow. Hmm. What's your largest challenge as as the as the head of your firm? It's your own firm and, and being a immigration attorney. What's your biggest challenge? Not having enough time. time. I want to do everything. Hmm. I want to do everything. There was a time where I thought, well, I'm a lawyer. I shouldn't do X. I'm a lawyer. I shouldn't mm. do Y. I'm a lawyer. I shouldn't say something about blah, blah out aloud because I'm just a lawyer. But I think what has transpired is why not me? Mm. <laughs> and that's where I come to like, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write about it. And I used to have this notion that um, there's not enough time, and that is true. But if you want to do something, you make mm. the time. And I think what you have been arguing about and you know, advocating for and showing people is that if you want to do something, you make time yeah. for it. And I think that's, that's how I'm able to do it. But I think when I wrote my book, Legal Heroes, during the pandemic, and I was, I was very compelled to write that book, I suddenly one day thought, I need to write this book because I don't know what's going to happen in 2020's election. I need to make sure people understand what lawyers have done, what mm. they can do, should the need come up. And so it was on a very tight timeline. And I looked at my calendar. And remember, we were all in lockdown. Yes. <laughs> you know, my kids are having school at home and everybody's at home. Where am I going to do this? And I thought to myself, I have to wake up early. So I started to wake up at 4.30 wow. a.m. So I could draft my book and review and do all the things that were necessary. And in my mind, I said, it's only for two months. It's okay. I can do this. You know, I feel so compelled. And I had a team to help me. But what happened after that is, oh, I can wake up at 4.30? Hmm. Oh, that's where my time is. And granted, I have not been able to do that all the time. But what I have done is I wake up early. Um, in, in Invariably between 5, 5.30 and the times that I sleep in, that my eyes are just so glued together, it becomes six something. But um, 
those morning hours are so yeah. precious to me because I don't have, you know, kids asking for things. I don't have my email just popping, you know, making a noise every two seconds. I don't have the phone ringing. That's my time. And I've learned to love that time, embrace it, feel protective of it, you know, really feel that all the things that you see, a lot of that happens during the morning where I'm planning or organizing and getting them in place. Yeah. When I asked you about your largest challenge, you said time. Does does the law frustrate you the most? What frustrates you the most? I would assume it's the law itself. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it depends on which moment I'm in and which hat I mm. have on. But the law is frustrating. What I have realized is frustration within you can create so much right. negative energy that then it transpires into everything else you do. And so in the moment, yes, sometimes I'm stressed and I'm frustrated and my clients are projecting. But I have really learned how to calm myself down and see, okay, I, I can only control what I can right. control. I cannot control the law as it is. How can I control my client's expectations? How can I solve this problem? That, that problem isn't going to be a one step. What are the 10 steps I need to do? Um, and then come and making sure one of the biggest, not challenges necessarily, because I feel is part of what I should do and I do, in fact, uh, try to accomplish this is making sure my clients are not anxious as hmm. well. It's inherently an anxious process, particularly when it's going to take 10 years or whatever that timeline is. So much of your life is dependent on this visa. The, what I say is I'm helping people with the most important things in their lives, their livelihoods or their loved ones. Mm. And those two things inherently make you stressed and anxious. And when you have that and you have somebody helping you, you can't help but you know, project that. And so what I've learned is I need to be 10 times calmer than usual so that I can project, I have the energy to project that calmness to hmm. them. Because if they are stressed, again, it's going to, they are going to project that everywhere, right. everywhere around them. It's going to affect their only own work, their own families. So I've, it's, it's really a, something I've been working on during the COVID pandemic because all of us were thrown into an unknown situation that prolonged, you know, more than the two months that you and I anticipated. Yes. So how do you get through that? So anything that we can do as individuals to better ourselves is so important for everybody around you as a human, as a professional. And is one of your calming kind of, uh, you know, places to go and, and resources, is that the bird watching and the photography? Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned it. I feel as though initially I was like, oh, I shouldn't talk about birding, but I'm like, no, this is the whole me. And it's important you know, um, so what really happened was suddenly all of us are at home and it's so noisy. And in the previous administration's, um, you know, immigration practices, I really had to find ways to keep my sanity. And I took on meditation. I took lessons and classes. But suddenly when everybody's at home, there's no quiet spot to do it. So I would sit outside meditating or just standing to just take some deep breaths. And that's when I started to notice birds. But it was a simple sparrow, you know, it was a simple sparrow. And I, uh, and I thought to myself, wow, I never really noticed how beautiful a sparrow is. 
you know, we see these all the time, whether, you know, whether you pay attention or not, you know, they're everywhere. But it's it was the beginning of taking notice of something right there in front of us that we walk by and never look at. And it really started with like, you know, maybe I'll take a picture of it with my cell phone. And I did. And I thought, oh, you know, that that wing shape is interesting. So I upped my game and used a, a camera that was, you know, gathering dust for years. And I started to take pictures with those. And I started to really see something in me that, A, I was noticing beauty that I really never paid attention hmm. to. And what that was doing to me, I would be outside for 10 minutes. I'll be like, oh, you know, the world has walls in every direction and my clients are going through so much. But, you know, I think I can do this. I can help them. I can be my be a better person. And that really snowballed into like, oh, I can be a better person. How can I make myself a better person? Oh, well, other birds are there. It really had a reciprocal effect of me looking for new birds and perfecting my photo into doing something that was helping me be better. Mm -hmm. And I have now become a huge advocate to say every professional, every lead, every leader, every human, in fact, needs an outlet that is purely for themselves. If you do not do something for yourself, you do not um, give yourself the love that you need to give yourself mm. to be able to project love everywhere else. And so when I go to these birding walks, you know, I'm walking. I mean, you've talked about exercise and all sorts of other things. But, you know, most of us will have the excuse that I don't have time. And yes, I'm still guilty of it, I have to say. Um, but we don't have time. And exercise is like, oh, you know, you find something else that's more important. You procrastinate. But once you love something, all the things that's, that are associated with that become part of your mm. life. I now have rain jackets that I never used to have. I have hiking boots and have different boots that I tested. Like I'm now walking in the mud. I sometimes take pictures of myself in the mud thinking nobody would believe that I'm walking in the mud, <laughs> you know, um, but it makes me so happy. You know, it just and the happier I am, I realized I can make mm. other people happier, too. Mm. Yeah, just just general happiness, and I know you talk a lot about love as well, and how important it is. And love breeds love, and happiness does the same thing. Uh, you mentioned discipline on the podcast. I talk a lot about it. I, you know, I lost a lot of weight. People ask me how I did it. I had to kind of come to the rock rock bottom where the doctor said, you know, you're not going to see your daughter graduate. And I started my tech firm in the '90s, and I gained all this weight and you know, I just turned everything around, but people ask me how I did it. Like there's some secret and I just say discipline, you know, discipline and focus. Uh, that's really what it, what it took. I wonder how you use discipline in your wife, in your life, excuse me. Do you consider yourself even as a youth, a disciplined person? I mean, going through law school, coming to the U S completely changing your environment. It takes a lot of change and, and, and a lot of change of habits and viewpoints and, and careers. I mean, where does discipline fall in your life, Tamina? Well, first of all, congratulations no. on that because I think it's a really big deal. And I've seen that with some close family members of mine, it is discipline and discipline comes in so many different ways, but it's the intention mm -hmm. that sets everything. You made an intention mm -hmm. that you wanted to lose weight and, and, and you know what you describe about having the tech job and putting on weight. It is, it is so yes. many people. 
so many people in this world because we are stressed about doing that work and doing it to the best of mm. our ability. But when we are doing it to the best of our ability, we're neglecting our own souls, our own selves. And when you do that, that's when you've really lost yourself to really pay attention to the things that are most important. But we don't think that's important because we've got to get the job right. done. We've got to work the 80 hours. We've got to meet that client need. But it's when you hit rock bottom, that's when you really feel that you've got to make that change. But why do we have to do mm. that? And I think that's where your message is so important. I think that's where my message is so important. And that's why I think I want to talk about birding more and more. Because if we can change human humans in the way they think of themselves, I think the world does become a better place. Because if you can love yourself, you will focus on what's important to you. And when that becomes important, egoless love for yourself and others, then how can the world not be a better place? Why do we have so much decisiveness? Because we grow up with so much, you know, trauma in our lives. We, whether you acknowledge right. it or not, you have them. And it's the healing process that helps you then get to the shape that you want to be in. Whether in and it's mind, body, you know, uh, they're all connected. And you will perform better. And the people that come to you is because they see you they see your success and they ask, they want it for themselves. Mm. But a lot of people just don't believe it's the hard work and the discipline behind it. It is truly simple. Mm. If you could just focus on what is the most important thing for you. It doesn't have to be all day, though. I think that's the, that's the other yeah. myth. That's the other myth that people have. It's going to take so much time. It really doesn't. Standing on that deck for 10 minutes a day just to breathe and then take notice of the birds. That's how it began for me. But when you ask, you know, how do I do all of this? It's because I, I'm able to prioritize, but in that priority, I'm also making sure that my morning routine is not compromised in any way. And so when I travel, for example, nowadays, birding is the, the ulterior motive for everything. Yeah. That morning routine that I normally have at home, that goes into birding. Which park <laughs> am I going to? Which birds am I going to see? How clear is this going to picture going to be and i think all of those things are very important and so for me discipline <laughs> is all about making sure that my my needs are being met so that i can be better for everybody mm. else yeah your first point how discipline equals intention i never quite I never quite made those connections. I always say kind of focus and I get a relative amount of pushback how discipline, some people view discipline as militant, you know, and there's no wrong or right answer, by the way. I don't claim to be the, you know, the king of discipline. I just, it's a vehicle that I use stronger in some areas uh, and not in others, but tying it to intention is very, very interesting because I guess, I guess it's always been implied, but I never really thought of the two. When you when you're practicing, uh, you know, law and you're talking to clients, I wonder if there's a certain amount of discipline that has to be involved on their part. They're probably very anxious. They're probably, you know, they're coming to you with a problem and you have to solve it. I wonder how discipline plays a role there. 
that's a really good point. And, you know, offline, I'd love to chat more about, you know, discipline and intention and all of those things. But let's take a client who um, is about to lose their job. This is the business immigration bucket. And they have children with severe, you know, health Mm. issues. And if they don't have a job, they don't have the health insurance. And now there are other external factors that are affecting whether the job is going to remain or not. Think about the mindset. I mean, you're a father of two. I'm a mother of two. I mean, once I became a parent, I became overnight an an incredibly, you know, more understanding human being and a better lawyer. But what does that human, what is that person looking Mm. for? Yes, they're looking for they're looking for a legal solution, but they're also looking for somebody who understands mm. them, you know, who can really you know empathize with them and find the solution in an empathetic way rather than judging them for whatever that external factor is. Um, judgment is such an awful thing yes. to do. You just don't know what people are going through. So it boils down to love again. You know, <laughs> often I will be like oh my gosh, there's so much I have to do. And the thing that I will, I have started to impart as well, because I'm like thinking like, how am I going to solve this is take the responsibility with love, discharge it with Hmm. love. Everything will fall into Mm. place. So for that client, making sure that they know that you understand them and you're going to do the best that you can is very important. Let them know what the risks are. Ultimately, it's their decision. One example is in the COVID pandemic situation where everybody got stopped wherever they were, you know, um, whichever country they were in. And I mean, there are so many different types of stories, but one person, they had filed their case in the United States, but they were traveling for a temporary period, but they immediately got stalled in that Mm. spot in Southeast Asia and they couldn't come back. And because they couldn't come back and they couldn't come back because that country was closed down, the airplanes were grounded people weren't vaccinated. You couldn't get a vaccine even if you tried. So many different reasons they couldn't come back. And because they were not here, their case was denied. Mm. Now, these issues are often unprecedented. You know, we've dealt with so many different unprecedented issues. And so I'm like, how do I get this person back? And so I went into my network of, you know, lawyers and different parts of different listservs. And everybody basically said, you know, you've got to let this start again. And the person has to stay outside the country. It felt inherently wrong to me that this person, this family is going to be split up because of no fault of their own. And so sometimes you have to use the law and do the thing that you think you have Mm. to do. There's no you know, there's no set example for it, but you've got to feel the law and see what can I do with that? Making sure the client understands this may not work, but let's try it. And we tried it and it worked. And, you know, the client is about to come back, you know, from being stuck outside the country for two plus years. But that doesn't happen often. So as a lawyer, you know, A, understand your client to the best of your ability and do the best that you can as a lawyer to fix that problem. And if it is not your expertise, refer the case to somebody who is a better fit than you. Quite often now we say, I'll say it's, a, you know, that person is a better fit than me. Why? Because for the highest good of all, let's make sure that that problem is solved. I don't, you know, it's not about money at that point. It's about solving that problem. And in law, in immigration law, particularly, if a problem begins, you cannot solve it easily. Mm. 
with time, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. And so, you know, as a lawyer, immigration lawyer, where the livelihoods and loved ones are in my hands, the burden is a very heavy one. And I take it seriously. And that's why the birding, the evolution of birding in my life has become a paramount mm. part of it to make sure that I can be healthy and happy in my mind and body to give the best self I can give to everybody around me. So important to have those outlets. You know, when you were describing the process to write your book, you said, well, I decided to to wake up early and it was very, you know, I, everybody, the house was quiet and I had time. It, it reminds me of, okay, once I had to lose weight, I stopped drinking anything with sugar in it. That was it. And I didn't tell anybody. I just did it. And it was wonderful. And then, you know, I still had a hamburger. I didn't have two though. I had one. I cut everything, cut everything in half and just no more sugar drinks. Just those simple things. You know, when you, when you visit somewhere, park your car far away. So you have to walk a little bit. Don't take any more elevators. Take the stairs. You know, simple things like this involve discipline, but you just accept it and move on just like you did. And you're able to accomplish those goals. Mm-hmm. I agree. And what the one of the profound moments in my birding journey was that I had to um, I had to walk through this nature park. It's a wildlife refuge, and it was a three and a half mile loop. And I didn't pay attention to the notices and everything, but I got to the end of that three and a half mile mm-hmm. loop, and then that entrance was closed. So you actually have to walk three and a half wow. miles back to get and so I'm like I walked all the way back and I was like I didn't think anything of it you know it was basically seven miles and of course there was some other mileage for the you know walking to the car and all of that but it dawned on me wow I just walked seven miles without complaining I was happy as a clam I didn't even notice how much time had gone by I could stay there for another two hours easily and imagine what that did to yes. my health, let alone like my mindset. But I didn't notice it, you know, I didn't notice it in the same way. And I, what I realized is once you love something, that physical activity that comes with it, you don't notice it mm. anymore. And so, you know, we went to Universal Studios um, for spring break this year as 2022 Great. has um you know, opened up. So we finally went to Florida. There's a lot of walking. Yes, there is. I've been there many times. A lot of walking. Yes. I am very proud to tell you I did not complain for a single second. (laughs) Everybody in the family did. But pre-birding, I would have been the first person to complain. I would have asked to sit down. You know, and I said to my husband, did you notice? I did not complain. (laughs) And I even, you know, I woke up at five. I went and caught the sunrise at some park. I walked around for two or three hours. I came back and I'm like, okay, we're going to theme park. So I had already walked a lot you know, uh, before I re- was even walking with them. And so it's it's little, but it didn't happen in one day. You know, but it's very much what you yeah. say. Do little yes. bits, you know, the sugar. And it's, you know, there's a book called Atomic Habits. Yep. It's like doing one thing and you build on it and you build on it. You do that one thing and then you don't even notice that's part of your day. Waking up at 4.30 a.m., I have to tell you, was not right. easy in and of itself. I had to change my body clock. I really had to change my body clock because I would stay up late after the kids would go to sleep. And that was my quiet time. But by then, I am exhausted. My mind body is like fighting to stay up. 
I was not necessarily doing my best thinking, which I didn't know at the time. But as I changed and I realized I got to get some sleep, I have to get, you know, refresh my mind. I, that's how I changed the body clock. And I am very careful not to mess mm. with that. Because if I have slept in over the weekend, Monday becomes difficult. You know, yes, I'll snooze the button many times. And, you know, my husband's not happy about that. But, you know, it's the only way that works for me. But it's the small things. Once you've done one habit, you can add to another, to another, to another. And it becomes um, part of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. When I started working out, I did all 6 a.m. classes. So I was up at 530 and I went and, you know, I did it about seven months in a row without missing a day. You just get into that habit. You mentioned Atomic Habits, one of my favorite books. My biggest takeaway from the book is to kind of couple uh, a, a habit with a good habit. So if you want to start flossing, for example, do it right after you brush your teeth. You already have some kind of habit, couple it with another, and then it just becomes a routine. Uh, very, very good advice. Tamina Watson, what motivates you? Being blessed and loved by the universe. It motivates me because I feel as though I have um, been blessed with so much in life. And yes, everybody goes through hardships. It's how you deal mm. with them. But it's all about love of other human beings and how you can make things a little bit better than they were before you. And so um, what motivates me is love for human beings and to make sure that I do my part in this story that we're living in, this journey that we're all taking to leave my impact. I'd like to soak that in for a moment. It's wonderful. How do you measure success? How I can spread love. And when that's done, when you do it, there's no greater sense of enjoyment. There's no, you know, when, when, there's, when someone's upset around me and I, and, I, and I do my best to just love and just, you know, let's sit back and let's think about what's happening here and everybody kind of comes to a similar level. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding that in my view. And I, I, and, I, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, love is, I'm demonstrating, lo demonstrating love in every single action hmm. I take. So whether it's writing, whether it's the book, whether it's the podcast, whether it's sitting with my clients, whether it's sitting with my team, my family, my children, I think the key word, and it's really something I've written about recently, is that Martin Luther King was so right about love. And, you know, it becomes a cliche because you hear it so much. But if you can internalize what he was trying to say, that is what the universe is about. And if we can embrace it, implement it in everything we do, we no doubt make ourselves better, but we make everything around us better. Nothing negative could happen there. It could, we can, with so many societal ills that are around us right now, just just some love, taking a step back and just having a little love would do everybody a, a world of good. Tamina Watson, what an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you. I was excited when uh, I knew we were going to talk and um, 
just an absolute pleasure. How can we get in touch with you? Well, Joey, it's been a pleasure of mine too, because I was so looking forward to speaking with you. And I know the message that you're trying to send is really going to do what we're all trying to accomplish, you and me, about making the world a better place, because it starts with the individual. And that's what you're trying to do. So I'm grateful that there is a messenger like Mm. you out there. Um, My website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. And my email contact information is there. One of the best ways to connect is through LinkedIn. It's, you know, you can see everything that I'm doing. But I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I use Instagram to often send my pictures as opposed to like, and then I use Twitter to send out the, the articles I've written and LinkedIn is where everything else I'm doing. I'm, it's just a, a good, great, great place to share so people can connect. Yeah. Instagram has the bird photos and everything. It's wonderful. Tamina, by the way, is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A and Watson is W-A-T-S-O-N. Uh, I'll put it all in the show notes. Uh, Tamina, thank you so much. I have friends in the Northwest in Seattle. We usually make it there in the summer. It'd be great if we could all get together and uh, have a cup of coffee and watch the I birds. I would love yes, that. That'd be great. Yes, I would love that. You know, I have actually, lo- I've looked crazy when I go to different places and I don't have time. And I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, do you want to go on a 5 a.m. walk with me? That's my only time to meet. And so in a, in a party environment, they'll be like, yes, we'll do that. And then day off, they're like, mm, it's a little too early, Tamita. <laughs> so I'm going to hold you to it, Joey. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Tamita, thanks again for your time. You be well. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations.